everyone, and welcome to episode 44 of the Hydrogen Nowcast for January 21st, 2022. Wow, 2022. You know, to me, that sure sounds futuristic. And with all the interest in hydrogen right now, which people have been saying for years is the fuel of the future, well, there's proof that the future has arrived. Uh, let's see. Sorry, where was I? Uh, oh, yeah. In the podcast today, we're going to talk about building hydrogen demand, and I'm calling this Hydrogen Business 101. But first, let me say that the Hydrogen Nowcast is sponsored by New Day Hydrogen, who's helping fleet owners meet their zero emission vehicle needs. If you're with a fleet or transit operator, and your fleet is wondering how to convert to zero emission vehicles, but still meet your operational needs, New Day Hydrogen can help by providing public hydrogen fuel stations near you and showing you the available fuel cell trucks, vans, and buses. To find out more information about both vehicles and fueling, visit the NewDayHydrogen.com website, where you can also submit requests on the contact page. You know, hardly a week goes by where I don't receive a request from someone who wants to sell hydrogen but is looking for customers. But I have yet to receive a single request from someone looking to buy hydrogen. Now, obviously, the sellers need to go out and find customers and generate demand for their hydrogen. But just saying that isn't very helpful. You know, it's like saying the secret to making money in the stock market is to buy low and sell high. What that doesn't tell us is how. So in today's episode, we're going to talk about building hydrogen demand. And by that, I mean identifying and enlisting customers. So let's start by breaking down the problem into three questions. First, what could hydrogen be used for? Second, which industries are in each of those use cases? And third, how do you ramp up supply and demand together for those industries? So to start, what could hydrogen be used for? Now, before you say, well, that's a stupid question, we know all that, let's look at some fundamentals. Now, the whole reason the world is interested in alternative energy carriers like hydrogen is to replace the burning of fossil fuels, pure and simple. Now, fossil fuels are powerful, cheap, and convenient. I mean, they do a lot. They're like the Swiss army knife of energy. So it's going to take some effort and creativity to replace them. So the bottom line is, if we weren't trying to replace fossil fuels, we wouldn't even bother trying to use hydrogen. So what are all the functions of fossil fuels? Well, obviously, they're a source of energy. You just dig them up and you have energy. They're also an energy carrier. You know, you can move them around. They can also be stored for short or long-term periods. In fact, nature stored them for millions of years. They can be transferred to a vehicle quickly, which battery vehicles have made us realize is a feature we took for granted. And fossil fuels can also be used for heat, either to heat buildings or for high temperature processes like steel, glass, and cement making. And lastly, fossil fuels are easily transported over long distances. For example, across land in pipelines or trains, or across oceans on ships. So if we're going to replace fossil fuels, we need to replace all of these functions, which are source of energy, an energy carrier, storability for short and long term, fast transfer to vehicles, heat both for buildings and high temperature industrial processes, and finally, long distance energy transport. So let's look at the alternatives to fossil fuels. What can we consider? Well, for energy sources, of course, there's wind and solar, hydroelectric, nuclear, and in some places, geothermal. And to move and store energy, we have basically the electric grid and batteries. And I'll come back to hydrogen in a minute. Also worth mentioning is using biomass, that is, 
garbage, sewage, and forest slash to make hydrogen. And this does emit some carbon dioxide unless the CO2 is captured and sequestered. But the CO2 came from the atmosphere in the first place, so at least it's carbon neutral. Now, natural hydrogen wells are another source of zero carbon hydrogen. It's not widely known, but hydrogen is naturally generated underground in a continuous and renewable process. And I'll put a link to a scientific paper about this in the show notes on the website at colorado-hydrogen.org slash podcast. So the sources I've mentioned do a pretty good job of replacing fossil fuels when considered together. So great. We've got energy sources covered as a replacement for fossil fuels. So what about the function of energy carrier? Well, the electric grid and batteries are energy carriers, although they have some limitations, but they are useful. Next, what about storability, both short and long term? Well, continuing to ignore hydrogen for the moment, the only one of the lot here that stores energy is batteries. But because of self-discharge and cost, they're really only suitable for short-term storage. Now, cheaper and longer-term batteries like iron air are coming, but they still can't store energy indefinitely. Next, what about fast transfer to vehicles? Well, none of the things I've mentioned really do that. And what about building heating? Well, heat pumps can replace furnaces and boilers, but that requires the homeowners and building owners to spend a lot of money to replace something that's, well, working just fine, thank you very much. So to me, converting building heating to renewable energy is far harder to solve than any other energy use, primarily because of the cost and the difficulty in motivating people to make change. Okay, so what about high temperature industrial processes like steel, glass, and cement making? Here, electricity is just not cost-effective or practical. And then last on our list, what about long-distance energy transport? Well, we do have long-distance transmission lines across continents, but building more of those is problematic since the public consistently objects to new power lines. Now, transmission lines across oceans haven't been done yet, and the costs might be prohibitive. So were you keeping score? What features of fossil fuels aren't covered or aren't covered very practically by the grid and batteries? And in other words, where do we need something else? And of course, that something else is hydrogen. So let's look at where hydrogen completes our checklist of functions to replace fossil fuels. Well, the first is energy storage. Although batteries can store some energy for short time periods, that really pales in comparison to both the amount of energy and the length of time that hydrogen can store energy. So next, what about fast transfer to vehicles? Well, charging a battery vehicle, even on future 300 kilowatt DC fast chargers, is going to take 24 minutes to deliver 400 miles of range compared to three minutes for a gasoline or hydrogen vehicle. And guess what? It'll never be close to three minutes. And that's because it's not a limitation of the battery. It's a limitation of the amount of energy that can safely and practically be forced into a vehicle. Now, even though battery vehicles are really efficient, you still need to transfer 120 kilowatt hours to go 400 miles. And to give you an idea of how much energy that is, the average home in the U.S. uses about 30 kilowatt hours per day. So 120 kilowatt hours is four days worth of energy you'd like to transfer in three minutes in order to match the 400 miles of range you can transfer to a gasoline or hydrogen car in three minutes. So the point is that fast energy transfer to vehicles is an essential application for hydrogen. Next, what about building heating? Well, it seems like the only technical solution here is electric heat pumps. But from both a financial and social perspective, 
We still have to figure out how to motivate people to make the change and then figure out how to pay for it. Both are pretty daunting tasks. Now, again, considering only the technical perspective, you could burn hydrogen in existing gas or oil furnaces, but how do you get the hydrogen to the customer in a practical way? Existing gas pipelines don't work because of steel embrittlement caused by the hydrogen. You could use an ammonia and hydrogen blend, but ammonia is an irritant, so safety concerns might stop that. And frankly, I don't know any way to solve the building heating conversion to renewables other than throwing a massive amount of money at the problem, probably fifteen dollars to $20,000 or more per home. Now, as regards high temperature industrial processes, both batteries and using the electric grid is pretty impractical in most cases, but hydrogen could definitely play a role here. And last on our list, what about long distance energy transmission? Well, the grid can play an important role here on land, although trying to install more transmission lines may meet with some public resistance. The hydrogen can play a role by sending energy on ships across oceans or on land through pipelines, which are hidden underground. Now, in some cases, it may be lower cost to combine the hydrogen with nitrogen from the air, which forms ammonia and transporting that. So to summarize all this, we need hydrogen for storing energy, fast transfer to vehicles, high temperature processes, and energy transport. But wait a minute, there's one more step. Remember I said the renewable sources of energy are wind, solar, hydroelectric, geothermal, biomass, and hydrogen wells. But those mostly produce electricity. How do we go from electricity to hydrogen and back to electricity if we need to? Well, of course, listeners to this show will know the answer is to convert electricity to hydrogen with electrolyzers and hydrogen back to electricity using fuel cells. And this is why hydrogen is now recognized as being so valuable because hydrogen and electricity are interchangeable. Hydrogen together with renewable electricity can provide all the energy functions that fossil fuels perform and just as conveniently. So back to our original question of what could or should hydrogen be used for? Well, again, energy storage, fast transfer to vehicles, high temperature industrial processes, and long distance energy transport. But wait, there's more, as they say on the TV commercials. <laughs> We're in a transition period where we may need to keep old power generation assets going until the new technology like fuel cells takes over. And that's why we call it the energy transition. One example of converting existing fossil fuel powered assets to renewable energy is converting utility electrical generators that are powered with coal or natural gas to burn hydrogen. This will get more life from those assets until they're replaced with newer technology. But an important consideration here is scale. You know, utility generators take a lot of fuel. So we'll need a large source of cheap, zero greenhouse gas hydrogen. For example, the underground conversion of petroleum to pure hydrogen using the proton technologies technique that I covered in episode 13 on November 12th of 2020. It's not renewable, but it doesn't emit any greenhouse gases. But developing hydrogen demand requires not only finding customers, but also coming up with the machinery to use the hydrogen. And there are companies developing hydrogen-powered equipment. For example, most of the major commercial big engine makers like Cummins, Caterpillar, JCB, and others are developing internal combustion engines that run on hydrogen. And I just covered this in the previous podcast, episode 43, with Super Turbo. Also, the big turbine engine manufacturers are developing turbines that run on hydrogen. Now, companies exist that are producing medium-duty trucks, vans, and buses powered by hydrogen fuel cells. 
And one example is right here in Colorado, which is Lightning E-Motors. And their website is lightningemotors.com. And Lightning E-Motors is all one word. So the machinery is out there, but the big difference with hydrogen demand compared to supply is that demand is a two-part problem. With supply, a single company can both generate and sell hydrogen, but with demand, it requires two companies. Somebody to supply the hydrogen machinery, for example, a hydrogen vehicle or an electric utility turbine, but it also takes a user, such as a fleet or a utility, to purchase the machinery and then purchase hydrogen to power that machinery. Now, coupling these two entities is one thing slowing down the hydrogen ecosystem. So if you want to sell hydrogen, then you've got to enlist customers. That is, unless you can afford to build your hydrogen supply and just wait for customers to come. This was the model in California where the state provided funding for fuel stations, plus in some cases even paid for unsold fuel till the market developed. But I don't believe that most private businesses or even other states have the funds or the will to do that. Now, governments can and need to help develop the demand for hydrogen by putting regulations and incentives in place that'll stimulate the demand for hydrogen, which will spin off other demands. Now, one great example is blending of hydrogen with natural gas. If governments would pass regulations that require natural gas to contain at least a few percent hydrogen, this would create demand for hydrogen, and this would form the beginning of a hydrogen ecosystem for supply and the demand. And then later, the supply could be increased to service other hydrogen uses, such as transportation. Now, speaking of transportation, the governments around the world should require that some percentage of postal service and other government vehicles be fuel cell. Private businesses would then have initial hydrogen customers and would then have a business case to deploy public fuel stations. Now, governments, that's state, local, and federal, have got to wake up to the fact that if we as a society don't deploy at least one hydrogen fuel station in every local market, we can't have any fuel cell EVs. And if we fail to deploy fuel cell EVs, we'll fail to decarbonize transportation. And that's because battery cars and trucks don't provide the same performance or convenience as petroleum vehicles and never will because of the charge time, which, by the way, is not a function of the battery. The speed at which you can charge is limited by the amount of energy you can safely and practically jam into a vehicle. Now, for the many people and businesses who need fast refueling to make long-distance travel practical, the charge time limitations with battery vehicles are a real deal breaker. So let me summarize the process to become a hydrogen supplier. First, decide which demand you want to supply hydrogen for. For example, utilities or transportation fueling or big engines like Class A trucks or mining vehicles or large stationary engines or energy storage systems or pipeline injection. Then identify the hydrogen machinery that operates in that market. For example, fuel cell vehicles, hydrogen internal combustion engines, turbines, stationary fuel cells, or, or whatever. Next, develop a relationship with those suppliers of that machinery. And then lastly, go hand in hand to the end customers with the machinery suppliers and strike a deal where you as the hydrogen supplier, plus the machinery manufacturer and the end customer, all three of you, agree to act together to launch a program. So I want to issue a call to action. First for everyone and next for companies. So here's something we can all do. I challenge each of you to send emails to your local, state, and federal legislators, letting them know that you want and expect them to support the building of the hydrogen ecosystem, especially the demand side, meaning the final customers. Tell them that hydrogen transportation needs meaningful support to get started, just like battery EVs did or wind or solar and especially urge them to start moving money away from fossil fuels 
and toward zero emission vehicles. Mention some of the points that I've made in this podcast, such as the need to decarbonize 100% of vehicles, which means we'll need hydrogen vehicles to meet all the use cases where battery vehicles just don't cut it. And also mention how government vehicles, such as postal service vehicles, are a really good and largely zero-cost way for the government to start supporting hydrogen transportation, and that the fueling could be provided by private businesses at no cost to the government other than the fuel. Now, if you're a business wanting to get into the hydrogen ecosystem, I urge you to add the step of adding final users to your sales process. First, take some time to find the equipment manufacturers that make the machinery for your target market and engage with them. For example, fuel cell vehicle manufacturers, large engine manufacturers, turbine engine manufacturers, and the like. Then take your list of available hydrogen machinery suppliers with you to engage with the end users and see if you can get a pilot program going. Sure, it's hard work, but that's the way it goes in sales. So listeners, don't wait for someone else to do this. Take some action, no matter how small. The climate needs action that we should have started decades ago, so the situation is urgent. Well, listeners, I hope you found this podcast useful. If you'd like to contact me, I would love to hear from you. So you can reach me either through the website at colorado-hydrogen.org or on LinkedIn. And as always, I encourage you to subscribe to the podcast And also, give us a rating in your podcast app. A good rating helps us be discovered by other people. And of course, word-of-mouth recommendations are really important, so consider letting people in your own network know about the Hydrogen Nowcast. Again, we'd like to thank New Day Hydrogen for sponsoring the Hydrogen Nowcast. New Day Hydrogen is working to build out and deploy hydrogen infrastructure to enable any of us to convert to zero-emission vehicles. So until next time, this is Brian DeBruin wishing you health and prosperity. Goodbye.